You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Today, we're going to talk about shared decision-making and who can help you manage your atopic dermatitis other than your doctor. As a quick recap, and you're probably sick of hearing me talk about this if you've listened to all of our episodes in the series, but here we go. This is our final installment of our five-part series on atopic dermatitis for skin of color. We've covered a lot in our past four episodes, including what is atopic dermatitis, why are we talking about it specifically for skin of color, how AD, atopic dermatitis, is diagnosed, how to manage your skin, and what treatment options are available. So go listen to those if you want a base understanding of AD in skin of color. Today, we're going to be talking about, like I said, shared decision making. What you may not realize is that your doctor is just one of many professionals who can help you on your atopic dermatitis journey. And there's actually more than one type of provider who can help. We're going to get into this and how you can be a part of shaping the best management plan for your AD while working with your entire healthcare team. Dr. G, who can all be involved in a patient's atopic dermatitis management plan? Eczema or atopic dermatitis, first off, is managed mostly in the office setting. So the office setting providers would be primary care doctors, an allergist, a dermatologist, a physician assistant that works with an allergist, dermatologist, or primary care doctor, or a nurse practitioner that is also trained in primary care, allergy, or dermatology. So patients with mild disease are usually managed in a primary care setting, but anyone with moderate to severe disease should be taken care of, in my opinion, by a specialist, ideally, which would be someone like an allergist or a dermatologist or someone working with an allergist or dermatologist that is a clinician. It is not very common for a patient with eczema to be treated in the hospital, but very rarely for patients with severe disease or other conditions that can cause complications with eczema and can lead to severe infection, we may need the patient to be seen in the hospital. So you mentioned office setting. What about telemedicine? Is that an option for patients with atopic dermatitis who say can't have access to a dermatologist or an allergist? Yeah, so telemedicine is actually a big part of healthcare now. And as many of you know, I have actually gone into telemedicine predominantly also. And from my experience and from, I think everyone's experience since COVID has seen a doctor through telemedicine. And we know that there's so many conditions that we can in fact treat via telemedicine and not have to physically see patients in a clinic. Skin conditions are one of those conditions where we've actually been using telemedicine even prior to the pandemic. Dermatologists have been pioneers in telemedicine in a lot of ways. The reason for that is because skin conditions, we rely a lot on patients' pictures anyways. So a lot of times patients will come in and say, you know what, it doesn't look as bad today, but let me show you a picture of what it looked like last week. 
And so in medicine, the most important thing for most conditions is understanding the history of the disease, how it's been managed, and also being able to see the disease. And so with something like atopic dermatitis, you can do all of those things via telemedicine. Really the only thing that might be relevant to atopic dermatitis that we've discussed is an initial biopsy that some patients might need if their history and exam don't completely go hand in hand. Wow. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because I know that I take pictures all the time of how my skin looks because sometimes I think, oh, I'm going to see the dermatologist next week. And actually I look pretty good. How are are they going to believe me? Are they going to believe that I felt the way I felt last week? And so I do like to keep a visual diary of my skin. So I can see how that actually would work out really nicely to just see your doctor over telemedicine since most of the time they're not even looking at your skin directly in that conversation. And I have to also say that's really exciting for people who have a hard time accessing dermatologists like I do, that there is another option, which is telehealth. Yeah, Courtney, that's just such an important thing that I didn't emphasize in my answer is that telemedicine really does allow us to provide access to specialists, especially in rural and urban settings where it might be hard to get an appointment with a specialist. So I think that's one of the key factors in this also. Great. So to help along with this conversation, we've asked Tanya Winders, the president of the Allergy Asthma Network, to join us and talk about the role of the nurse in shared decision-making. Not only is Tanya an advocate, but she's a mom who knows all about what it's like to live with a child who manages atopic dermatitis. She shares both her professional and her personal perspectives with us. Let's jump into our interview with Tanya and learn more about the role of the nurse and shared decision-making. Tanya, we know that you've recently written a paper about the role of the nurse and how they help in caring for atopic dermatitis. Could we start by just understanding how a nurse fits into a medical practice and what that looks like so a patient can differentiate who's a nurse, who's a receptionist, who's a doctor, you know, who's doing what in the office? Yes, absolutely. Well, this does vary across setting to setting. And, you know, a lot of times we think about the nurse being in the hospital setting and maybe being that bedside person. But what we're talking about here, the role of nursing in atopic dermatitis is really more that outpatient setting where the nurse comes alongside you as the parent or the patient yourself and walks you through how to live with a chronic disease especially atopic dermatitis. So that role and that function is much more focused on education, uh, on daily self-management skills, perhaps avoiding things that could make your atopic dermatitis worse. There's a whole myriad of things that an atopic derm nurse could help you and support you through that journey. It's also a really important person to help connect you to other services. So let's say you're struggling perhaps with the psychosocial aspects of living with eczema. Um, that could be that conduit to a mental health professional. So we really advise clinics that are doing a lot of atopic derm, especially in the moderate to severe category, to ensure that they've got someone on their team that has those nursing credentials, but also is really focused on patient education and support. I'm curious to know, is the nurse specifically trained in atopic dermatitis? So are they doing specific courses so that they know exactly how to talk to a patient about this skin condition? 
Yes, so in countries like the Netherlands and Ireland, um, this is a routine position that there is trained curriculum around the basics of atopic dermatitis and eczema, and certainly that they have a more formal uh, training, but it's no, there are no credentialed programs today. So this is something that we would like to see, similar to what we've got in asthma with uh, certified asthma educators and diabetes educators. We think that this could be a hopeful model for the atopic derm eczema space as well. I know that I've seen something about how a nurse can also play a role in diagnosing atopic dermatitis. Can you talk about how that would look for a patient? Typically, nurses are good at carrying out orders. So they help to, you know, support the diagnosis with that healthcare provider, with either the dermatologist or the allergist or allergologist, as it's often called in Europe. Um, but they can certainly support with things like skin prick testing, patch testing, you know, uh, running the lab work that's necessary to work up and to determine maybe what some of those underlying causes or triggers are. Um, and then I think that the nurse often is also that person that is there at the clinic and in those interactions, supporting the physician uh, in those discussions. And so again, I think it's, it's a multifaceted role and may look different depending on the setting that you're in. And I think it might be helpful also to define a nurse practitioner versus a registered nurse because nurse practitioners actually have more of that clinical role and they have similar role to what a physician or a physician assistant would have in clinical care. And so I think sometimes people get confused with all of these different terms and all of these different healthcare providers. And so I just wanted to point out that, you know, there is something called a nurse practitioner who has done additional training in order to be able to prescribe independently. And they often have independent hours and not directly associated with another doctor clinician per se. Yeah, great point, Dr. G. Definitely, we have to remember that there are various levels of nursing. So you have your LPN, which is typically a two-year program, and then your RN, which is a four-year program. And then you can go on to be an advanced practice nurse. And that oftentimes leads to a nurse practitioner um, credentialing, as you said, here in the U.S. So I do think it's very important to know your provider, know their training, and, and you know, help to to frame if that person has the credentials and the ability to diagnose and prescribe versus just supporting the prescriber. And it sounds to me that the role of the nurse in this case can really also help with the psychological aspect of living with AD, because from what I'm hearing, the nurse spends more time with the patient than you would normally get with your doctor. Is that a correct assumption? Well, that's been the experience with those atopic derm nurse, you know, roles and clinics that we've worked with. Is they do certainly get to know the patient, spend a lot more time one-on-one -on -one talking about what are the struggles, what are the goals, what are the aims of that patient and, and their management plan. And so helping them to develop an atopic derm management plan and really listening to are their main concerns about their appearance? Is it about their sleep disturbance? Is it about the side effects of medication? I mean, there are so many different facets of um, living with atopic derm over time that I think the nurse really can be that extra set of listening ears that supports you in your journey. That makes a lot of sense because like you said, there's so many different things to think about when you're managing AD that it can get overwhelming from just one little quick visit. Is there a way for a patient to know whether there's going to be a nurse 
in their medical team? So, you know, this is one of the questions that we often ask or encourage patients to ask up front is who is the care team there at your office? What does that look like? Um, what kind of support may be offered either during clinic or are optional to add on. At Allergy and Asthma Network, we actually have developed a digital health telehealth coach program for asthma. And we're looking at the possibility of having that additional support in atopic derm like we do in asthma and also food allergy coaches. And so these are people that would formally complete credentialing or modules that would give them that added insight and understanding to that specific community and their needs. So that would be an additional resource that they could use. Exactly. Yes. And so right now we have that available for food allergy patients as well as for asthma patients. And we offer those services and support for those individuals that are walking through those chronic conditions. This would be a similar type of offering. And again, right now that's done by nurse practitioners and PAs who also carry a certified asthma educator credentialing on the asthma side. And then on the uh, food allergy side, it's licensed clinical social workers, mental health professionals who have their credentialing and have gone through an additional 12 modules just around managing food allergy. Well, it sounds like your atopic dermatitis team needs both sides. You need both the clinical side and the psychological side, because I know personally, one of my biggest triggers is stress and figuring out those triggers is not easy. (laughs) It sounds like you're moving towards a more holistic team in terms of how you would manage atopic dermatitis. And I like that I'm, what I'm hearing is we're seeing this as a chronic long-term condition and not just something that we're going to lather some cream on and forget about it tomorrow. Yeah, you're so right, Courtney. I mean, you know, this is more than skin deep and we've heard it time and time again from countless patients. I know I've lived it with my own family. I have a 19 year old daughter that has moderate atopic derm. And, you know, the, the hardest days for us, honestly, were when she was choosing a prom dress or when she was wanting to go to a swim party and uncomfortable with the way that her eczema looked in those more revealing clothes, you know, when she was dealing with the disappointment of yet another failed treatment, those sleep disturbance nights, right, where she was scratching and itching all night long, and she woke up and just didn't feel 100% and ready to go to school and give her best. And so I think that there's so many things that oftentimes it takes coming into that relationship with a provider that's an extension of your physician to really get to, to some of those more nuanced concerns. Yeah, definitely. I know that for me, my dermatologist is the doctor that I feel the most vulnerable with. And it's taken me a while to find one who I feel comfortable with because I know that it isn't just something I need to worry about today, but it's something I have to worry about a long time. And I would love to have a relationship with my doctor so that it is this long-term treatment management plan. And like I said, relationship. Talking about, you know, your relationship with the doctor, there's a term called shared decision-making, which I think is really important as a patient. And I would love to know if we could unpack that. What does that mean, shared decision-making? And then how does that look in practice? So shared decision-making is a topic that I love to talk about because really it is flipping a pretty traditional authoritative healthcare system which is is most throughout the world, but definitely here in the US, where it says, I'm the doctor, you're my patient, I'm going to diagnose you, I'm going to prescribe something for you, and then I want you to go and do it, right? And it's taking that and flipping it to where we're coming more as equals to that table, knowing that the physician is the expert in the science, 
and definitely in diagnosing and, and perhaps offering treatments for that patient. But the patient is the expert in their own lived experience, in their journey, and in what matters most to them. So shared decision-making really is about asking the most important question. Rather than how are you doing from a doctor's perspective, asking the question, what's most important to you or what is eczema keeping you from doing that you'd like to be doing? And if you change just that one question, from the first question when the doctor walks in, how are you doing, to what matters most to you or what's your greatest challenge in managing your eczema today. Immediately, you level the playing field and it becomes more of a shared decision-making process. It also is important to find a provider who's willing to kind of go with you on this journey. Realize that they may not have all the answers. Share the pros and the cons, the risk and the benefits of the various treatments that might be right for you and then allow you as the patient to make that decision. Rather than the doctor making the decision of this is what's right for you, it really is more of a shared decision that is led by the patient and by their ultimate desires. And it really doesn't take that much time or energy. It's just changing the mindset and shifting the power in that relationship a little bit more to a centered shared power rather than the typical authoritative our paternalistic approach that most providers seem to really adhere to. Thank you. That's a really great explanation. So Dr. G, as a patient, how can I approach my doctor in terms of having this more shared decision relationship? That's a great question, Courtney. I think that it is all about asking about your options. So if you get presented with a treatment plan and you feel like there aren't really any options and you're just given one choice, on whether or not you want to do it or not, then that's not necessarily shared decision-making, although it can be a form of shared decision-making because sometimes there is only one option potentially for your treatment plan. You're either on board with it or you're not, but it's always asking for suggestions uh, from the doctor on, are there any other options? If you don't feel comfortable with the treatment plan that you're being presented or making sure you voice concerns, for example, if it's an injectable medication and that doesn't make sense to you or you don't understand how that's going to fit in with a needle phobia that you have, for example, then it's just important to voice those concerns and not be scared to do that. And I think that then lends itself to having more of that shared decision-making interaction with your clinician. Can I ask a more personal question? but I think this also impacts a lot of people is navigating insurance and navigating what comes out of my pocket and what comes out of my insurance's pocket. How do I bring up my financial situation with my doctor? How do I say that sounds great, but I don't really know if that's realistic with my insurance plan or I really would love to use those ointments every day, but that's just way too expensive for me. I know that that is a huge barrier for people. And that's a really uncomfortable conversation to have when you're feeling that vulnerable can you give us some tips on how to actually have that conversation? Yeah, Courtney, it's so important. So I always say, you know, first of all, we prefer to support providers and to encourage physicians, you know, patients to work with providers that actually use a system systematic approach with like a shared decision aid, because it's going to have that cost um, addressed in there. It's going to tell you if it's a low cost solution or perhaps a higher cost solution, but it is so individual. I mean, thinking here in the U.S., we've got 5,000 different health insurance plans, right? A doctor can't be an expert on all of those, but asking them up front, like what's the average out of pocket for this solution or for this treatment is, I think, a way to take it off of 
your own personal financial situation, but to show that you are a concerned patient who needs, that's an important part of your decision-making process and who needs that information in order to decide which is the best treatment for you. Because a doctor can prescribe all day long. But if a patient can't afford that medication or they're choosing between the food on their table, a roof over their head or that medication, I mean, it's a no brainer. We're always going to go to the basic hierarchy of needs. I think that that's the real challenge here is approaching these conversations in a way and using shared decision aids that help to elucidate and bring that to light for patients so that they don't have to be that uncomfortable asking the question or, you know, saying, can, can you give me the information so that I can even contact my individual insurance and learn more about what my out-of-pocket cost will be and not committing to a treatment until really you weigh all those decisions. Oftentimes we tell people in, a sh in the best shared decision-making conversation, it's left without a decision. And the doctor will say, let's revisit this, you know, at your next visit in two weeks or four weeks, go home, think about it, do your homework, research, because we need to be confident that the decision we're making is the best one for us. That's the only way to ensure adherence or compliance to the treatment plan. I agree with everything that Tanya just said, but I also want to add that as a physician, as a clinician, I personally always bring up costs with my patients. I always say that I am not at the pharmacy. I don't know what happens ultimately when you go to the pharmacy. And as Tanya said, there's 5,000 different insurance plans. So to be honest, even if someone asked me, what is the average pay for XYZ medication? I wouldn't even be able to tell you. And, and that's an honest answer because there's certain insurances where you have a $10 copay for your medication. And then there's other insurances where you're really going to be paying the full cost. And then the full cost is always variable. And so I think that ultimately for me, that your clinician is somebody that cares about you, that wants to know all the different factors that are relevant in taking care of you. And if cost is a major issue for you, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about. It's something that I really, really want to know and understand so that, like Tanya said, we can create a, a treatment plan that will work for you. And I always tell patients at the end that there's multiple different, for example, for asthma, there's multiple different inhalers. For eczema, there's multiple different ointments. And so if you get to the pharmacy and it's super expensive, let me know because there most likely is an alternative that I can prescribe for you. And so that is something that I always end the visit with me personally, because maybe it's because I live in a metropolitan area and I serve patients in this area, but I just think it's a very, very important and relevant part of medical care. And I just want to kind of give the message that it is important to talk to your clinician. It is nothing that you should feel embarrassed about or that it's not relevant because actually I think all clinicians will tell you that they understand how relevant it is. That's really comforting to hear. I just know that you feel like it's, I don't know, maybe I just can't talk about money. <laughs> um, back to something that you were saying earlier, Tanya, about shared decision aid. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So I feel like if I had an aid that would just be like, okay, now I have to go here, here, and here. Oh, and look, I'm going to talk about cost without blushing. Yeah. We are so excited about these um, and we've developed them for asthma, for food allergy, for atopic dermatitis and eczema, for many different conditions. And so you can go to the American College of Allergy, Asthma and Immunology, the ACAAI.org website. 
and look up shared decision-making aids, or you can go to allergyasthmanetwork.org, shared decision aids, and we have links there as well. But these are really easy to use charts that have all the various treatment options, talk about the pros and the cons of each, talk about the side effect profile, talk about the indication, have some indication of cost. It, it, we do it typically like the, um, if you think about Yelp, the $1 sign, $2 signs, $3 signs. So of course the injectables, the biologics tend to be more expensive solutions than your over-the-counter topicals or even some of your generic topicals. You know, those shared decision aids are there and they are intended to be used in the context of a conversation. They're never intended to, for you to make the decision independent. Again, you didn't go to medical school. You don't know all the training. You don't know all the specifics around your, even your condition that your doctor may have insight to about those underlying causes of your eczema. And so I think that it's important that to understand that these are decision aids that are supposed to be used in the context of that conversation with your healthcare provider. Yeah, those are super helpful. I know that Dr. G always says, you know, write down your questions on your phone, you know, so that when you get to the office, you know what you want to ask. And it sounds like these are just one step further and they'll help you also remember what your doctor said. Because I know that in our previous episode about treatments, there are a lot of terms that I have heard, but I could probably not repeat to you. It's nice to have that on a piece of paper so that when you go home and research it later, you're not trying to rack your brain as to how you would spell like cristiborol or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it can be very overwhelming and it's changing all the time. I mean, we just here in the U S now have the Jack inhibitors that have been approved for atopic dermatitis and that we're seeing more use for patients. And so I think it's, again, it's really hard to keep up on everything when the truth of the matter is we're a daughter, a sister, a friend, and oh yeah, by the way, I also have eczema. That's not, you don't want to be defined by your disease, right? To find a provider who understands that, who is willing to go with you along the journey in a long-term relationship, who's willing to listen at least twice as much as they speak. I mean, that's really the premise of a shared decision-making conversation is that the doctor is not the one who's doing all the talking. So quality of life has become a really big topic in terms of living with chronic conditions. And I know that quality of life and obviously like psychological health go hand in hand, especially for atopic dermatitis since stress is a trigger. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the nurse's role looks like in that and also what you hear about psychological health and nurse and how patients are responding to that? Sure. So each and every day at Allergy and Asthma Network, we get calls from patients that are struggling living with atopic derm or eczema. And they call and, and the concerns sometimes are about out-of-pocket costs and the financial strain of that. Sometimes it's about, you know, the incessant itch and scratch cycle and like just the frustration of that. Um, but a lot of times it's just about the isolation that they feel and the kind of the psychosocial aspect of the disease. Because again, when you're skin is flaring and you don't feel confident in who you see in the mirror, then it does begin to play mind games with you. And you do begin to doubt yourself as a person. You begin to doubt if anyone's going to love you for who you are looking as you do on the outside. And, you know, I know I've had this conversation with my own uh, young adult daughter that I was talking about before about even intimacy and having, you know, flares and, and not wanting to be touched. And yet 
when you start dating or get into a sexually intimate situation, how are you going to do that? Right? So we've had these kind of conversations that oftentimes people may not be able to have with their mom or with their family member or with their friends. So certainly the AD nurse could be a person that could have those really candid conversations about the psychosocial effects and some of the isolation and intimacy issues that often arise. Yeah, it sounds like that's actually a really good tool to have for a young adult is these things are definitely top of mind, but mom is not the number one person you want to be talking to about that. So it's it's nice to know that there is a resource that's not necessarily a psychologist that you can go to and ask these more intimate questions and these more vulnerable questions and that they can help you find the right direction or find another person to talk to so you don't feel like it's a huge burden on your life. But also in a community, right? Connecting with other people in a community that is authentic and that is going to address some of those more sensitive topics and issues. I mean, I think that that's why online forums are so powerful and why patient advocacy groups are so important. It's because it should provide that sense of community, sense of belonging, sense of support that even if you don't feel comfortable asking your doctor, asking even the atopic derm nurse or your mom, um, maybe just your friend who's also going through this and living with it halfway around the world in an online community. Yeah, it's very true. Everything you said was so great, Tanya. I know that I didn't like getting hugged when I was younger. Like I didn't like being touched. Yeah. It was a really big problem between me and my mom. And yeah. then we realized later on in life that it was just because I was uncomfortable, like all the, yeah. I was always flaring. Yeah, Courtney, and that is my testimony actually at the FDA PFDD meeting. It hit me when I was preparing my comments. So I, you know, I'm the mom of five in six and a half years. So they're all stair steps. And I never understood why of all of my children, Caitlin was the one who was the touch me not. Mm -hmm. I mean, she really was. She didn't like to be touched even as a baby, but especially as a young girl and, and a teenager. And, and I'm a very touchy-feely person. So it, it created some conflict and hurt feeling. And then one day it just really hit me that it was because it hurts, you know, and she, yeah. she actually was able to say, mom, it, it, it's not that I don't love you and don't want, you know, to express my love for you. It's that it physically is uncomfortable. It hurt. And um, yeah, it was a real light bulb moment for me. <laughs> no, definitely. I feel like we have to tell a lot more like, and that's why I told my, my husband, I was like, I'm not like attracted to you. I just really don't want to be touched. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like I don't want my clothes yeah. to touch me either. So it's not you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But having some of those conversations is not easy. It's, it's really not. Yeah. Like also having the patient recognize that that's why you don't want to be touched. Right. And I like just like physically just like wiggle out of people's way. <laughs> it's like, why am that's I so totally grossed out by people? It is. It's so funny. It's totally Caitlin. And she's the one who's lived with, you know, maximum most of her life. Yeah. So this was great. I think we brought up so many important aspects to taking care of atopic dermatitis and honestly, any chronic condition. It's very important to remember that multiple people can help in the journey. I wanted to also mention that your pharmacist is another really important member of your care team. And many times they can help you determine what alternative options there might be 
that might be cheaper for you and more cost-effective, which as we've discussed is super important in your care. Using that information, your doctor can then prescribe the medication that's gonna be covered more easily for you. Really, it's very important for you to try to find a pharmacy where you feel supported and where you feel like they can listen to your concerns. That's a great point. I live in Germany and I didn't realize the role of a pharmacist until I moved here. Because my pharmacist is amazing. They help me go through my medicine. They help, they double check if I know how to use it, if I know where to put my creams. They've even gone over how to wet wrap with me, which was a really funny demonstration in the middle of the pharmacy. So I have to just say that I love my pharmacist and I'm really happy that you brought that up. Are there any other points that you wanted to bring up before we round out this episode? I just want to say that these considerations are important in all populations, but as we discussed, in people with skin of color, we know that there's so many more complications that can occur for patients with atopic dermatitis and skin of color that causes issues with quality of life that we need to be even more cognizant of all of these things. So we've discussed things like skin discoloration that can cause emotional distress, but we also have research that shows that people with skin of color are not always given all of the options in their care that other populations are given. So it's even more important to use the tools that we talked about with Tanya, like shared decision-making and also to use every single member of your team to make sure that you're really taken care of. We will definitely make sure to link to those shared decision-making tools because they are a great way to have a conversation and they also outline all of the options that are available for people who have atopic dermatitis so that you know what is there and what you can potentially have access to. And on that note, that was a lot of information and that was a really great episode to end our Atopic Dermatitis and Skin of Color series in partnership with the Allergy and Asthma Network. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you found this series helpful, please, please rate and review the podcast and share with your friends so we can continue to spread more awareness about atopic dermatitis and skin of color. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.